0: Before we dive into our favorite books of the summer, we wanted to share about a new book podcast we recently discovered, The Bookstorian Podcast. The Bookstorian Podcast is a show for book lovers and bookstagrammers. Tegan from Bookstorian Reviews interviews a new bookstagrammer each week and then discusses a recent read they have in common or a literary genre
1: or any other bookish topic. We recommend checking out Tegan's past episodes on a range of topics and listening to the episodes that highlight books you've also read. For some great and honest book chat, insightful takes on popular reads, and bookstagram tips and tricks, subscribe to the Book Story and Podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you're listening right now. <music> To Novel Parents, a podcast dedicated to making the classics readable, relevant, and fun. As two nerdy bookworms, we appreciate the role of classic lit, but we won't get too academic about it. We'll talk about the books we love and the books we loathe, and help stock your TBR pile with old and new reads for every literary taste. Today, we're wrapping up our summer reading season with short reviews of our favorite
0: Sarah, how was your summer reading season?
1: It was so great, I think.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I ask as if we haven't been talking about books every week together this whole entire
1: summer. (laughs) Yeah, it's true. But I am curious to hear what you've been reading, not so much for the podcast, even though we have chatted about that a little bit as well. I... Just feel like at the end of each month, I think, oh, I really didn't read anything this month. And then I look back and I'm like, oh, actually, I read some great books this month. So I think my reading has been good, but my memory has been poor.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Quality has been pretty good for me. Quantity is definitely way lower than I would typically see over the summertime. And that's fine. It is what it is. I would love to be reading many more books, but that's just not not the phase my reading life is in right now. So overall, I mean, summer reading was, was good. It didn't necessarily feel as summery to me, but we've talked about that before where it's just odd transitioning out of the teacher mindset of summer and working over summer instead of having your much needed, well-deserved teaching break. So yeah, lots of lots of thoughts and feelings on all of that. I'm not going to fully reflect right here, but um it's been different.
1: Yeah, I I agree with that. I I'm curious how many books you feel like you typically or in previous summers have read and you don't even have to like share numbers, but I I'm just curious because I I think It was only last year that I got really good at tracking my reading, but I was reading for the Aspen Lit Prize last year. So I was reading like, you know, 25 books a month or something. And so this summer, when I've been reading closer to between like 10 and 15 books a month, I'm like, wow, my reading's really taken a hit. But I think that might actually be a lot for me compared to summers before the Aspen Lit Prize.
0: That totally makes sense. I think a typical summer month for me, like from the last two or three years, would have been anywhere from 12 to 20 books a month, like a pretty broad range. Yeah. And then this summer, I feel like the most books that I've read in any given month has maybe been eight, Mm -hmm. and that's like the high end, and then typically it's more like five or six that I get to, at least... I feel like I didn't read very much at all in July. And honestly, I think that has way more to do with pregnancy brain than any other factor in my life. I just have not been in a reading zone at all.
1: Yeah, I we've talked before about how sometimes like when we tell ourselves we have to read something, we then don't want to read it. But this summer, because of pregnancy brain... The books that I have finished and enjoyed the most are the ones that I've had a reason to read and just, you know, push myself, get really immersed in it and then have a conversation about and like all of that just makes the reading experience all the better. Whereas there have been other books that I probably would have enjoyed more if I read them any other time, but my focus just hasn't quite been there if it doesn't have to be there.
0: I really, really loved reading our summer season books. I mean, I I have to say, I mean, even Streetcar, which we didn't pan on the podcast, but we were pretty ambivalent about or kind of um, like, what was the point of reading this in high school? <laughs> yeah. I really enjoyed everything that we read for the podcast.
1: Me too. It was a great season. Just A wide variety. I think that is going to be a key for us going forwards in future seasons. Just having such a variety of genre and time period really made it all the more enjoyable. But did you have a favorite read from our summer lineup?
0: I think my favorite read and that it was my favorite before talking to you was The Women of Brewster Place by Gloria Naylor.
1: Mine too. I figured. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I wish I could have a different favorite, but that would be dishonest. It was
0: absolutely my favorite read. And then I we might share the same favorite episode, but I think it was so fun to talk about The House of Mirth. I think it was one of those that felt so timely. And yet there were also plenty of things to pick apart about it, which just makes for such a balanced conversation. And it was also just really fun to tie that into our Gilded Age literature class over on Patreon. And I don't know, I just really enjoy those super nerdy history deep dives and the House of Mirth provided such
1: a good opportunity for that. Agreed. Yep, we do share a favorite episode as well. <laughs> that one was <laughs> was so fun. Um, yeah, I really liked revisiting that book and and as you mentioned, it's just always fun to explore a book where you both want to talk about the things you loved and felt were really relevant and the things that like bothered us or just that we mm-hmm. want to like give a little bit more of a critical eye to when When we find a book that strikes that perfect balance of conversation, it's just the most fun.
0: There were a couple of other, actually like a good handful of other books that we both just happened to read either this summer or one of us read it in spring, one of us read it in summer. And... We were able to kind of touch on a couple of these on the podcast here and there. I don't always know what makes it into recording versus what we talked about <laughs> before turning the mics on, but I know we both read and really enjoyed The Other Black Girl by Zachia Delilah Harris. That was a really fun read. Great summer. It was book. very like perfect summer thriller, mm-hmm. I thought.
1: I loved it. It would be good for fall too, though, because it still is that Mm -hmm. like, you know, mystery, thrillery, little touch of horror going on in there. And just the New York City publishing setting, I feel like could be a great fall read too. So if you haven't gotten a chance to pick up the other black girl yet, it's not too late. It doesn't have to be reserved for summer. Definitely give it a try. I know we both
0: also enjoyed crying in H Mart by Michelle honor I listened to that one, which was a really good way to go. It was just really beautiful. I don't know that I was in the right mood or mindset to appreciate it as much as I should have. Um, I really, I really enjoyed it. Um, but I think in maybe a different mood or even in a different season, I would have absolutely loved it. And She's just a stunning
1: writer. She's an amazing writer. I also listened to it. I I think that was a great way to take it in. Although her writing is so gorgeous that it does kind of make you want to see it on the page as well. Yeah, it's, it's slow and it's about grief. It's very contemplative. I think a lot of our listeners would really enjoy this one when they're in the right mood for it. Of course,
0: Olympus, Texas by Stacy Swan was our book club pick in Patreon. We also talked about that one a little bit on our Myths Retelling episode. So I don't know how, how much we need to gush about it again, but it was so much fun to hear from her about her inspirations. And it was just a really good, solid,
1: quick summer read. Mm-hmm. It was so fun. And after we read it and talked about it, you said that it would have been a great pairing for Streetcar, too. So just another bonus pairing here that um, we think Olympus, Texas and A Streetcar Named Desire are definitely in conversation with each other as well. And then we both read The Guide by Peter Heller. I think you liked it more than I did.
0: I I really liked it. I think a big part of why I liked it so much was it pulled me out of a reading rut Mm -hmm. when I really needed it to. And I think that's been a common theme this summer is any book that I can sit down and read in just a couple of sittings or that really grabs my attention or that I'm thinking about when I'm going to do other things because I want to be reading it instead. It has just gone so much farther (laughs) in my estimation. Um, I don't know. My my rating system is completely off because of that. So The Guide by Peter Heller is one of those where I loved it because it gripped me and held my attention. Do I think it's his best work? No. I thought it was really interesting the way he incorporated the pandemic. Um, and because it's actually, even as we're recording, it's not out yet. So Because I think it's out at the end of August.
1: Oh, yeah. I think you're right.
0: So I still haven't seen much from him on his writing process of like what came first. Were you working on this idea? Was this a book that you just really quick jotted down while you were home during COVID-19? So um, I'm curious to know sort of more of the backstory. And then I feel like I'll be able to figure out where exactly I landed on it. But what did you think of the guide?
1: I agree that I wanted to know what happened but where I differed was I didn't want to be reading it ever. <laughs> like was, his his writing started to kind of irk me and I just wanted to like it was like I need to know what happened so I'm going to keep turning the pages but I'm not enjoying being in this story anymore. Um I I did talk with another friend who read it who who fishes and was like much more into his, like, waxing poetic about fishing than than I was. But I just, I also felt like I love books that are genre-bending, and I would say this one kind of goes there. But to me, this one felt more like it didn't quite know what it wanted to be than that it was, like, an interesting and intentional way to blur genres. And that could just be, like, my own read of it. a real flaw with the book but I will be curious once it comes out what more readers think of it because I think I I I think you'll be surprised because even though this is like a follow-up to the river you don't first of all you don't have to have read the river to read the guide although you will get spoilers for the river if you read the guide first but they are very different stories with very different tones and So that's always surprising when it's kind of a follow-up novel.
0: I felt the same way about The Guide and the River and that I wanted about 50 more pages. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: And I felt like if he had that room to let the story breathe more and to pace things out a little bit better, I wouldn't have minded so much. Um, His writing style is really short, choppy, concise sentences, which I think just worked for my brain at the time that I was reading it. Mm -hmm. But then it also lends itself to a really abrupt shift when he needs to go from one place to the other, or in the case of the guide, when it's ending, it just felt really abrupt. Um, And so I always, whenever I finish a Peter Heller book, well, I see this. I've only read the two. I am interested in reading some of his others because I know people really love his backlist. Um, but I end up thinking, oh, I just really wanted to be in there for about 50 more pages, which is a lot of pages, I have to say. Because he's like he writes like a really tight 250. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just, I always think, oh man, 50, even 100 more pages. Like I wonder what he could do with that.
1: Yeah, he could also take out some of the pages where he just likes to show off about the obscure writers he reads. <laughs> and that yeah. might
0: help too. That's when I get eye-rolly. Yeah. Um, but I do, I even though I don't fish and have no intention to start <laughs> ever in my life, I did really like the descriptions of this setting. And yes. actually, Curtis read it shortly after me and he is much more of like a researcher like he reads a lot of nonfiction and he'll be reading his book and then he's on his phone looking at (laughs) so many different sources and like reading about what he's reading about and he was looking up some of the big gorgeous mansions in In the area. Yeah. (laughs) Yes. And so we fell down the rabbit hole on Zillow of just looking at these homes and like really got a better sense of the setting. Mm -hmm. So I highly recommend if you do pick up the guide by Peter Heller and you're not familiar with that area, just do a quick Google search for homes around Crested Butte. You get a better sense of the setting that he's writing in.
1: Totally, and I did love the Colorado setting. I thought that was was really fun. We don't get a ton of books set here in our state, so that was pretty cool. All right, I'm very curious to hear your thoughts about this last book we read in common, All's Well by Mona Awad.
0: I really liked it. It was so weird, and I listened to the audiobook. And so I'm curious about how that differed from your experience of reading it. It definitely kept me engaged. Um, The audio was great. I really liked the narrator. But I also feel like I probably missed some of the literary references or some of what Mona Awad was doing just because I was reading in a different way. I was listening for the story, not necessarily using my English teacher brain um, to put a lot of the pieces together. But I thought she was really doing some interesting work around chronic pain and the way society views women's pain specifically and whether or not they are believed. And it was twisty and weird. And it was the first book of hers that I had read.
1: I love her Very particular brand of weird. I've only read one other of hers. I read Bunny last year or two years ago, and I loved Bunny. It is so weird. And so, going into All's Well, I knew like I'm probably not going to fully get everything that's happening in this book, and that's okay. Just enjoy the ride. I read it on the page, but I also didn't spend a ton of time like really leaning into thinking about the symbolism of the various plays and, you know, who Helen is and All's Well That Ends Well. That's not a play I'm particularly familiar with. Macbeth, I feel like I could teach in my sleep. <laughs> so that one I got. <laughs> but um, but yeah, it was just so fun. I think for, for readers who like the theater, whether it's because you really are into nerding out on Shakespeare or you just like the like characters that you meet in a theater class or theater environment, I think you'd really enjoy this one. Um, but also just people who like kind of dark academia sort of books. I mean, this one is like darkly funny. Um, and if you can handle being if you're okay as a reader with being confused, <laughs> then I think you should give this a try. It's it's fun and weird and eerie. And like you said, it's also doing really interesting things with what it's commenting on in terms of society and, and social issues. So, yeah, I thought it was
0: fun. It definitely reminded me of some of the truly wacky theater professors I've had in yeah. the past. And that was... <laughs> That was delightful to reminisce about.
1: Yeah. I I I loved that. And I I loved her her mutinous cast and just how she <laughs> kept calling them her mutinous <laughs> cast. It was, yeah. That was great. All right. So Sarah, I think you
0: should kick us off because you have a few more favorites to share than I do. And I'm really excited to hear about several of
1: these because they're on my TBR. Well, I read The Roundhouse by Louise Erdrich, and I've just really been enjoying exploring her work. I love that the first book I read of hers was ended up being the Aspen Lit Prize winner for the year that I got to serve on the reading committee. It also went on to win the Pulitzer. And then shortly after I read that, you and I read Love Medicine for the podcast. And then I picked up The Roundhouse because. A Student Who I Tutor, it was his assigned AP Lit Summer Reading, and so we read it and talked about it together. And I was just so grateful to have a reason to pick it up because I had been wanting to. It is the second book in what Louise Erdrich calls her Justice Trilogy. You don't have to read them in order, but like many of her books, they have interconnecting characters and plot lines. This book follows the absolutely horrific rape and assault of a woman named Geraldine Coots, And so lots of trigger warnings for this one. Um, It's told through the perspective of Geraldine's son, Joe, who was 12 or 13 at the time of the assaults, but is telling the story kind of looking back. And, you know, throughout the book, he... He kind of has to come of age in order to understand what is happening to his family and his mother's grief and the fact that justice is going to be extremely hard for this family to get in part because of the nature of the crime and in part because they are members of the Ojibwe tribe and where the crime occurred and who perpetrated it it, whether they were were Ojibwe or white, will make a huge difference on how and where the crime is prosecuted and if the crime is prosecuted. And she just uses this really intimate story to draw our attention to injustices surrounding Indigenous lands and Indigenous law and rights, uh, but also to... These ongoing traditions and family structures and communities that work so hard to stay together and and continue continue on with their important traditions. And so, I loved I loved this book. I think it's so cool that my uh, student I tutor is reading it for school because it's a great book to bring into the classroom. It's a a tough one, but I applaud his teacher for doing it. And I think I think this might actually be a good place to start with Louise Erdrich because it is more focused on one character and one family. And so you get a more cohesive story than some of the other books of hers that I've read so far. So that is The Roundhouse by Louise Erdrich. Have you read anything
0: about her novel that's coming out in November? No,
1: oh, she has another one already. Mm hmm.
0: Um, I think I probably just like plopped it in one of our anticipated documents somewhere and was like, oh, I have to tell Sarah about that. Um, So it is described as a wickedly funny ghost story, a tale of passion of a complex marriage and of a woman's relentless errors. It is called The Sentence and it's out November 9th, 2021.
1: Wow. Okay, I'm super excited for that. I also I want to read her book The Future Home of the Living God, which I think is like a more kind of dystopian book that she's written. Um so maybe I'll go on a little bit of a Louise reading spree here soon. <laughs> um one of my memorable
0: reads from the summer is a graphic memoir by Lucy Nicely. I think that I always want to say Nicely, but I think it's actually Nicely. Um, Her memoir, Kid Gloves, Nine Months of Careful Chaos, was so lovely. And um, I would say, I don't know that it's a book that I would typically recommend to expecting parents because Lucy shares details about her miscarriage and about a really traumatic birth experience. And um, I I just think that sometimes when you are pregnant or trying to become pregnant or wherever you are in your journey, that is not what you want to read about. I was okay with it. I was totally fine reading it. I loved the way she told her story. I loved the sort of educational interludes that she shared about birthing and growing human. And I just, I don't know, she shared her story, which with such a sweetness, but it's not syrupy. Like I just really like her balance of the sentimental and the straightforward and it just was what i needed to read at the time to feel a lot of feelings about growing a human and i really liked it a lot i'll be reading more of her work and it was also just really nice to read a graphic book that was quick from start to finish i think i probably finished within 2 hours and It was a really lovely read. So Kid Gloves, Nine Months of Careful Chaos by Lucy Nicely. I really loved that one.
1: Another book I wanted to talk about today is The Sum of Us by Heather McGee. This is nonfiction. And I, in like the span of a couple of days, I heard, um, Ezra Klein and Ibram Kendi recommend it. And then I got a personal recommendation from a reader friend who thought I would really like it. And I was like, this is a sign I I need to pick this up. And I listened to it on audio. It's nonfiction. Heather McGee narrates it herself. It's great on audio. Although I will say for me, it's hard for me to remember details when I listen Um, So and and there's so much fantastic research in this book where if you want to remember, if, if you have a similar like processing nature and you'll and you want to remember specific statistics and details, you might want to pick this up on the page. But it's about the way that some Americans tend to see policy decisions and just life in general as kind of a zero-sum game, where if somebody else is getting ahead, that means that we are falling behind. And how uh, politicians and lobbyists and special interest groups have kind of used that to racialize policy that's really intended to help every American and kind of pit groups of Americans against each other in, in a way where Sometimes we're voting against our own interests or, um, yeah, hurting our own communities with some of some of these decisions. And I just thought it was an extremely well done exploration of that issue where she interviews people from all over the country in all different demographics, all different political spectrums, and just kind of tries to get at the heart of like why we view the world this way. And then in what is a really lovely turn shows examples of communities where people have come together across their divides, across their differences to really improve their communities. And, and she kind of makes the claim that like we have to build these coalitions that are made up of as many different people as possible. If we want to improve our communities on a, local, state, or national level. And so I liked that there was some hope in this book where she showed positive examples of how that was working, but it also was just a really eye-opening read about, you know, why some things that seem to make so much sense aren't working uh, in our country right now. So that was The Sum of Us by Heather McGee.
0: That sounds really good. I think I'm gonna have to check that one out. I think Curtis would
1: really like it too. Yeah, I, I think you both would really like it. And it it's divided. Each chapter kind of focuses on a different policy issue. And she actually starts with um, subprime mortgage lending and the housing crisis, which I thought was a really great place to start too, because I did not think about that as an issue that had been racialized or, or politicized. And she explores how how it was. And yeah. And so then it goes kind of chapter by chapter. So you could also like, if you didn't have a chance to read the entire book, you could focus on the policies that you're most interested in and explore it that way as well. Okay.
0: One of my favorite books of the summer, and this ended up being kind of like the surprise, super popular book of the summer. I don't know, based on The readers in my life, I feel like many people picked this up and love it. It has a four point three four star rating on Goodreads. Wow! Which look, that doesn't mean anything, (laughs) but like it also is it's a crowd pleaser. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Um, but it's The Gunkle by Stephen Rowley, and I loved this book. It was warm and funny and a little bit sad, and I found that that balance was just perfect for me right now. Like, I don't necessarily want something that is all peppy and happy, and I don't necessarily want something that is all humdrum and woe-filled, but somewhere in the middle was just perfect. So, The Gunkle is about Patrick, and he is known as Gup. His niece and nephew, Maisie and Grant, call him Gay Uncle Patrick, Gup for short. And his sister-in-law passed away. And his brother is like, Hey, I've got some stuff to deal with. You take the kids while I go and deal with this stuff. They're all grieving. I mean, um, Patrick was best friends with his sister-in-law before she married his brother. And the kids are of course grieving the loss of their mother. And It's just, it sounds like, oh gosh, how is this book gonna be funny? But it's in the way that he interacts with these kids and the way that they change his life. He has gay uncle Patrick rules. And so he shares these rules with them. He teaches them about brunch (laughs) because he lives in uh, Palm Beach, California. And they are from the East Coast. So they like come in and enter his world. He's a fading movie or TV star. And so he has to teach them about brunch and like Hollywood parties. And it's just delightful. But they also are acting like kids and he has to figure out, oh my gosh, how do I parent as an uncle and someone who has no experience with children whatsoever? And it's, like I said, it's just sweet and funny. And I found this summer that I was really appreciating stories of people parenting who were not parents themselves or are just fulfilling sort of a non-traditional role. So like this uncle who steps into parent, or when we read the summer book, the grandmother who was Parenting her granddaughter. I just found that I really liked picking up the wisdom from those stories as someone who is about to become a parent more than, say, like a nonfiction parenting book or a, a book that's really heavy handed about motherhood. I really appreciated these stories where I felt like I took something away or tucked something away in my heart that wasn't from one of those, like, Um, specifically traditional parenting role kind of books. So The Gunkle was a hit for many reasons for me, but it's a lot of fun. And I highly recommend it even into the fall season. Like if you didn't get to read it this summer, just pick it up anyway.
1: That sounds really lovely. And I, yeah, I had been seeing that a lot of places, but hearing you talk about it now, I think is the first time that's made me really want to pick it up. So I might I
0: think you would really I like think it. So. I think that it's, it is definitely the right balance of like funny and sweet, but it's not syrupy at all. I think that you would enjoy it.
1: I think, yeah, that sounds good. I mean, <laughs> I was also thinking as you were talking, your reads are a lot more summary than mine. <laughs> so apologies.
0: We're just, you know, sometimes you're in Jane Eyre season all year round. Yeah. <laughs> and that's totally fine.
1: <laughs> well, my next one, actually, this is my second nonfiction pick too. Um, so kind of unusual summer reading for me, but I really loved Nobody Will Tell You This But Me by Bess Kalb. This is, have you read this one? I have not, but it. I have a physical copy of it. It's one of
0: those. I know I'm going to love it. Yeah. And so it's been sitting there for a long time.
1: Yeah, you will love it. And I listened on audio, but then I was very lucky to have somebody who sent me pictures of some of the pictures in the book because it's it's filled with images and that definitely enhanced my experience. So I I think the audio was great because she narrates it herself. But this might be one to pick up in paper format because of the the pictures. It is a memoir, but it's also kind of this like creative nonfiction project where Bess, the author, she is writing this memoir of her family from the perspective of Bobby, her grandmother. And Bess and Bobby were like super close, best friend kind of grandmother, granddaughter. And Bess is writing this after her grandmother, Bobby, has passed away. And it opens like that. You know, you know that about the story. And then she fills in um, the details of her grandmother's life, which are just sometimes outrageous and sometimes super sweet. And her grandmother was fiery and snarky and had opinions about everything and all of that really comes through in in the book. And I just, I loved learning about these women's lives. And I also loved the portrayal of a grandmother-granddaughter relationship that was clearly so, so meaningful to both of them. And yeah, I think kind of like you were saying, some of these books about um, not not even about parenting, but that incorporate some elements of raising young people or just intergenerational relationships have been kind of hitting me in more powerful ways right now, which makes total sense. And this is very much one of one of those. So I, I loved this story and it made me like, it's such a cliche to say it made me laugh and cry, but it really did. Like there are times where you will just be hysterically laughing at the things that that Bobby has to say and do. And at other moments, especially at the end, it's just very poignant and, and heartfelt. So that is Nobody Will Tell You This But Me by Bess Kalb. OK, maybe I'll pick that one up sooner than later. It's really good. And it is really good on audio. And since you have the paper copy, you could flip and look at the pictures, too.
0: All right. Let's see. What else do I want to share? Okay. This was a, um, an advanced review copy I read on my Kindle and I really liked it. Seven Days in June by Tia Williams. This is a romance novel, but it is set in the literary world of New York city. And there are, flashbacks and just alternating perspectives that I think are really cleverly done. I, there, there are many things that I love about this. I don't, I'm curious to see more reviews from avid romance readers because one of the main characters writes basically fantasy romance and she's kind of disparaging about her own work. Like, she's like, oh, I I write trash. Like, I churn out a book a year and blah, blah, blah. And romance readers really don't like when anyone <laughs> <laughs> disparages the genre like that. But it is a romance novel. And I think that that sort of, it's supposed to be more self-deprecating than what the author is trying to say. Because the hero of the novel, um, Shane, he actually, at one point, like publicly declares his love for this fantasy romance series, and talks about what a fabulous author he thinks Eva is. This is in part because he's been in love with her for years. They met when they were teenagers, and both of them had really traumatic upbringings, um, and so when they got together, it was just. Like such a turning point in their lives for them, memorable for many reasons. They have not seen each other since then, Um, but fast forward to present day, like I said, they're both writers here and they meet at a function for New York's Black literati, and all of a sudden, They're 15 again, right? They're like totally taken back to that time, remembering what they loved about each other, remembering how hot and heavy it was back then when their hormones were running wild. And of course, for romance reasons, circumstances push them together and they sort of start to rekindle this flame that they had going. There's a lot going on here. Um, I would say all of the content warnings Domestic abuse, vivid descriptions of chronic pain and migraines, um, just general childhood trauma, self-harm, drug use. Shane is sober and his sobriety journey is talked about pretty in depth. Um, Ava is a single mom and I love her relationship with her tween daughter. It's just a delight on the page. There are just many things to love about this book. And I really do think that people who don't typically pick up romance novels would really like this one um, just because of everything that's happening. There are other romance novels that tackle heavy subjects that have really in-depth backstories that do a lot of the work that this book is doing. Um, I just don't think that they get the credit for it because they have cartoon covers or they're published by independent authors um, for a lot of reasons. But if you are going to pick up a romance novel and it's not typically your thing, I would highly recommend Seven Days in June by Tia Williams. And if you like romance, I think that, of course, you'll enjoy this love story. And the cover of this book is just drop-dead gorgeous.
1: It is a gorgeous cover. It's been catching my eye all month. All right. I'm just going to throw out one more really quickly because I've talked about it extensively on our Streetcar Named Desire episode. I offered it as a pairing, but this summer I really loved Detransition Baby by Tori Peters. It is a book about three people and the way that their lives intersect. We have Reese, who is a transgender woman who desperately wants to be a mother. We have Ames, who is a transgender woman who has detransitioned and is now living as a man. And we have Katrina, Ames's current partner who has gotten pregnant and is deciding whether to keep the baby. and, And if so, what she wants her family structure to look like. And yeah, it's really a fantastic exploration of gender and parenthood and oh, it's 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 really fantastic. It is exploring all of those issues, but really like what made me fall in love with the book was how well written the characters are. They just all felt like such real people who I wanted to spend more time with, and I just wanted the best for all of them, even as and if they were making not the best decisions. And yeah, I I loved it. Lots of trigger warnings for this one, too, um, particularly abusive relationships, But I I thought it was fantastic. And if you want to hear me talk about it a little bit more, definitely go back and listen to our Streetcar Named Desire episode where it is a pairing.
0: That's just a small sample of what we read over summer, but those are some of the standout highlights. And Sarah, I think before we leave, we should share a little preview of what's coming up in the fall for us at Novel Pairings.
1: Yeah, this fall is going to look a little different because we will both be welcoming new family members (laughs) in the fall and be consumed by that and taking a little maternity leave from the podcast. Luckily, with the magic of podcasting, we are going to be able to record quite a few episodes ahead of time and have some new episodes for you all through September and October, and a new episode or two in in November. Um, But we are limiting the number of book discussions we are doing to help us get ahead. But we've picked some really good autumnal reads for the next couple of months.
0: In September, we're reading Jane Eyre, and this is a month-long read, It's a bigger book, but we also just want to make sure that we give Charlotte Bronte her due and give her a whole month. So on the podcast, we'll split this into two episodes, much like we did for Pride and Prejudice or The House of the Spirits. And then over on Patreon in our Classics Club community, we will be teaching a class on feminist literary theory with a heavy emphasis on Jane Eyre, and in Book Club we'll be discussing Jane Eyre at the end of September. Those two events are available at the Lit Scholar level, and it's just going to be a lot of fun to take a deep
1: dive into that gothic classic. I'm really excited. This is one that we've been getting requests to do a Jane Eyre episode since we launched the podcast, and we're I'm so glad we're splitting it into two because there's just way too much to talk about with that one in a single episode. So that's going to be great. And our pairings are going to provide listeners, I think, with a lot of good fall reads as well. And then in October, we, instead of tackling a full novel, we are going to read a long short story together. We're reading The Fall of the House of Usher by Edgar Allan Poe. This story is so creepy. It is just perfect for Halloween season. There is a crumbling mansion, a vampiric like <laughs> lead character. Um there, I mean it's Poe, so all of the horror tropes are in here like creepy twins and um people who appear dead when they are not. It's just Full of eerie goodness and we'll be discussing that one in depth and offering some pairings that episode will come out october 19th and then
0: finally we have another longer short story the yellow wallpaper by charlotte perkins gilman one of our favorites Mm -hmm. this is going to be so much fun the pairings are going to be creepy and um I don't want to say like delightful, (laughs) Um, but the pairings are going to be really fun to talk about. Um, And yeah, this is just going to be a, a really great one. And I'm so glad that we get to devote a full episode to it and give it a little bit more than the short story club treatment. Because it's somewhere between a short story and a novella. It's a really... It's just so good. And it's a great one to use in the classroom, as is the fall of the House of Usher. So for our teacher listeners out there, we hope that you'll get lots of ideas for the classroom from us while we are away. The Yellow Wallpaper episode will air at the beginning of November
1: on the 2nd. Yeah, I I love our creepy house theme that we have going on in (laughs) all three of these picks. So they're pairings for each other as well as us being able to offer some really great fall pairings for each of those episodes. Yeah, it's like an autumn book flight. Mm -hmm. It's going to be so fun.
0: All right, listeners. So if you missed a title that we talked about today, you can go to novelpairings.com to find our show notes We post show notes there for every episode, so go ahead, NovelPairings.com, and you can find a full list, including affiliate links of what we talked about today. And then we shared a little bit about what's happening on Patreon this fall. Every month over there, we share a literary class, a book club discussion, and of course, bonus episodes on Fridays. And we are having so much fun getting to know our Classics Club community. We would love to have you. You can go to patreon.com slash novel pairings to join at either the $5 tier where you get bonus episodes and behind the scenes stuff or the $8 tier where you get access to those literary classes and book club events.
1: We want to know what your favorite books of the summer have been this year. So share an Instagram post and tag us so we can see your summer wrap ups and connect with you on Instagram. We are there at Novel Pairings Pod. We also love when you send a message to say hello or tag us in your stories to show us that you are listening to our most recent episodes. You can also get bonus links and a peek behind what we're reading lately by subscribing to our weekly newsletter that's at novelpairings.substack.com thank you to miles eichner and mark anderson for our theme music next week we'll be back with an episode on strategies for approaching jane air by charlotte bronte until then we declare after all there is no enjoyment like reading how much sooner one tires of anything than